All right, Bill Cunningham, the great American. Yesterday, the uh, Louisville Metro Police and City Government announced the fact that uh, they've agreed to pay $10 million to the estate of Breonna Taylor and her shooting approximately six months ago, along with doing a bunch of other things, which is mandatory commanding officer reviews and mandatory body cams and written approval of SWAT matrices before search warrants are are executed, uh, housing credits for officers to live in certain low-income census tracts, hiring a team of social workers, always very important with killers and drug dealers to have lots of social workers, commitment to bargain for increased drug and alcohol testing in the next FOP contract of uh, police officers, by the way, mandatory paramedic presence for all search warrants. Every time there's a search warrant issued, of which there might be hundreds a year, there must be paramedic presence. And by the way, the great majority, 99% of search warrants do not result in anybody getting injured and more. But I thought it might be wise to get a national perspective on this and where police are headed. Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith is retired. She's a spokesman for the uh, National Police Association. And uh, Sergeant Smith, welcome to the Bill Cunningham Show for the first time. And Sergeant, how you doing? I am doing great. How are you, Bill? Great day. Great day. Great afternoon to be in America. Now, let's talk about from your perspective, and you don't speak for all police. I don't speak for all other great Americans, but on behalf of the National Police Association, is this $10 million settlement good, bad, or something in between? Well, you have to understand, for a police department, especially one the size of, uh, of Louisville, that very often what police departments opt uh, to do is to go ahead and pay out in a situation like this. It's a lot cheaper to pay out a settlement than it is to continue to litigate, litigate, litigate. Nobody knows that better than you. So, you know, that's exactly what they've done. It doesn't, we're not, you know, they're not admitting any sort of guilt or wrongdoing. Right. But very often, large police departments just end up paying out in these situations. It's a financial decision. It doesn't mean, they, they. in fact, part of the agreement is they admit to engaging in no illegal or unlawful behavior. However, in order the cost of litigation, et cetera, this whole movement about defunding police, which is the heart and soul of the Democratic Party today, is defunding the police. Uh, the more crime, and then the cry becomes defunding the police. Explain why that's bad for the residents in the cities where these cries are made. Well, defunding the police is just a childish notion that if I take money away from the big bad police officers, they will somehow go away. The problem is, and we, we're seeing this right now in Austin, Texas, is you take money away from a large police department, most of the things that go away are the community policing programs, those same programs that the police reformists want us to increase, now all the money is gone. When you, quote, unquote, defund your police department, you're going to end up with cops in patrol cars, and that's all you're going to have. You're not going to have school programs, community policing programs, team policing, any of that, and you're also not going to have very well-trained cops because training costs money. Big money. And here in Cincinnati, I'm familiar with Cincinnati, and the cries of the left is to defund the Cincinnati police to one large extent or another. 
And I see the same thing happening throughout the Midwest, especially in cities like like, like in Minneapolis, like in Kenosha and, and Chicago. It's happened in Los Angeles. Look what's happening in Los Angeles with the shooting of those two deputies. Thank God they appear to be alive and doing well. There's another shooting yesterday in Phoenix of a federal law enforcement officer. And uh, in L.A., there, Eric Garcetti, the mayor, has taken away literally tens of millions of dollars. I said tens of millions of dollars of police while they're being shot at. How is it different being a cop today than it was even a year or two ago? Well, it's extraordinary because now, you know, it used to be when I started in law enforcement 40 years ago, our concern was, am I going to get hurt in the line of duty? Am I going to be able to support my family? Am I going to be able to continue my career? Now, police officers wake up every day, go to work and wonder, am I going to be indicted? Am I going to be the lead story on CNN? And it's just, you know, we get into police work to help people. And what's going to happen with this anti-cop defund the police movement? is the very people who need the police, the people that the bad guys prey upon are not going to have the resources of their local police department, especially in large urban areas. They're going to be, and they're going to end up having to just defend themselves. And in cities like Chicago and L.A. and New York, anti-Second Amendment cities, people are not going to be able to protect themselves and they're not going to have the police to protect themselves either. Over this past weekend, there was a call for service, 911 made by a woman in Rochester, New York. And she said a particular person who the year before had stabbed four persons. Obviously, uh, this was a mentally deranged criminal who had criminal intent to kill people. And she dialed 911 and please come here. He's going crazy again. And the officers show up in Rochester and, uh, the person is inside. The officer's on the sidewalk. He comes running out of the door, a large man with a knife in his right hand running at the police. Now at that point, what choice does the officer have? According to the, according to the left, what the officer should have done was allow himself to be stabbed or shot, whatever else might go on, and then have the widow go to the funeral of the police officer, or he could have shot the person trying to kill him. After the rioting took place two, two or three nights ago, we now find out we finally have somebody in Rochester giving million-dollar bonds to these individuals, and guess what? It stopped. But explain what an officer goes through, and you've been an officer for so long you're retired now. What are your choices when a mentally deranged criminal comes charging out of a door, and you're on the sidewalk and you're telling you're shouting at him and he's got a he's got a in his right hand a large knife and he's running at you what are the choices well your choices are and that happened in lancaster pennsylvania i'm sorry yeah lancaster yeah correct i'm sorry and in Lancaster, that gentleman, he's mentally ill. His own uh, family member called 911 and said he's got a knife. He had just, a few months before, stabbed four people at a family gathering. He has a court date coming up in October. So he comes running out. There's police officers, and they tell him, drop the knife, drop the knife. He lunges toward the officer. You can see it on the video. It's a huge knife. The officer has no choice but to utilize deadly Force, and it, unfortunately, it happened to kill that individual. What the what the anti police movement now is saying is that you know you should have tasered him, you should have tackled him, you should have done all these things. It's cops don't go to work every day suicidal. We are allowed to protect ourselves, and we are also allowed to protect the innocents, and that is what those officers were doing. Well, what were the choices? Because the radical left says. 
Uh, I'd like to know what, what one of them would have done if somebody in the street, a large man, 27-year-old, uh, guy's name was a Munoz, uh, Ricardo Munoz, and if he comes at you with a knife with criminal intent to kill you, uh, what, what does the left say in Lancaster you should have done? This is like Amish country. Your choices are to shoot him or to be killed. And I guess the left is saying a cop signs up for duty, agreeing to be shot or knifed to death. That's part of the job. I, I don't think that, to me, it's opportunistic crime taking place in Lancaster or happening in Rochester uh, with that other mentally ill person that was nude on the street. But no matter what it is, uh, the public's got to stand behind these officers, and you're trained to go home. In other words, it's it's hard for an officer today to shoot a weapon because of the fear of what's going to happen to yourself, your family. You're going to be indicted. You're going to be destroyed. Much like Darren Wilson in Missouri was destroyed when he had to kill Michael Brown, who tried to kill him inside his police car. But none of that matters. And, and so it, it, what happened in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, uh, it, it is incredible that it's obvious what occurred, and that didn't stop the mobs from rioting. What does that say about those left-wingers who want to use any excuse to uh, break into windows and steal flat-screen TVs and break into liquor stores? What does it say? What are the choices of a police officer at that point? Well, and you have to understand that the left, the far left that is now running the Democrat Party, they're children, and they have childish ideas about everything. They, they want a utopia, and part of their utopia is that police never hurt anybody. These are people that have never been in a fight on a playground. They've never seen any kind of force used, and so they expect that we can do things that we can't. Police officers are not machines. We're not robots. We are people that have limited things that we can do and when someone tries to use deadly force on us like mr munoz did with that giant knife we have to meet that with deadly force but so many people out there now think that police work is a video game or a tv show they don't understand how force works they don't understand how weaponry works and they don't understand that we have a half of a second to make a life and death decision on the street and every now and then you, a cop makes a, a bad decision it happens but it's a split second decision with george blake uh or you know with other circumstances that have happened the person who's ultimately killed or shot seven times began the whole process that resulted in their death or injury and in munoz's case he was the guy in charge of that george blake began the process that resulted in his death no matter what the circumstance, Michael Brown did exactly the same. He began the process that resulted in his death. The same thing happened. It's almost 99% of the time the assailant, the person, the civilian begins the process that results in his death. Can you think of a circumstance recently where a civilian completely complied with law enforcement, allowed himself or herself to be arrested, and that person was still killed? And that's exactly it. Remember, American law enforcement has about 50 million contacts with the public every single year. We we shoot and kill about a thousand people. 99.9% of those were trying to kill us. The statistics of how many unarmed people of color that we shoot or kill every year is minuscule. It rarely happens. Most people comply. That's the that's the American society is that you comply with law enforcement. But now we're in an atmosphere where young people, especially people of color, are being taught, you know, don't comply with the police. They're going to hurt you. Even our politicians, if you recall in the Democrat debates, both Joe Biden and 
uh, Bernie Sanders told young citizens, if you encounter the police, they're going to shoot you in the head because you're a person of color. That's incredibly frustrating. Every one of these quote-unquote controversial police shootings would not have happened had the subject complied with lawful orders. And if you don't like what the police officer is telling you to do, do it and then complain about it later. Comply now, complain later. And also, Sergeant, there's no question we have no bonds in many cities in this country. If you don't comply, you're going to get out of jail by sundown anyway. And if Jacob Blake, who was an accused rapist, uh, had not uh, stolen the car and some ATM from his baby mama that he raped her. She said about two or three times a year, he'd show up at my place drunk or high on something and force me to have sex with him. She finally dials 911. The police arrive. They know when they arrive, they're dealing with Jacob Blake, who has warrants out for his arrest. They tase mm-hmm. him twice. They roll around with him. Uh, Blake gets one of the cops in a headlock. He refuses to comply. He walks around the car. To exit, they're screaming at him, stop, stop, we're going to shoot, stop, stop. There's three little kids in the back seat. They can't let him drive away, and he reaches into the car. He did not, shall I say, get into the car. He reached into the car. He had a gun. He had a knife in one hand. The cops did had to assume there was some other weapon, and he got shot because of his behavior. Same thing with George Floyd in Minneapolis. He spent five years in prison for armed robbery. He was a drug dealer. He had three times the legal limit of fentanyl. He also had PCP in his system. He was literally foaming at the mouth, did not want to get arrested at all. If all these individuals simply would have complied, we'd have a handful of cases. The Washington Post says there might be as few as four or five cases a year out of 50 million contacts that are questionable. The other 99.999% are not. But when LeBron James says that he's scared to death to walk outside of his door. And and this implication is that there's a hunting down of black men to be killed. It is a damnable lie, as proven by Harvard, New York Times, Washington Post, Michigan State University, University of Maryland. There's about a 1,000 civilians killed every year. Twice as many whites are killed than blacks, and uh, the rest are Hispanics and others. And uh, all the studies have indicated that this is the safest time to interact with police because the police are frightened and scared about what's going to happen if they use force. Mm-hmm. They have to use force at times, and we live in sick times. Now, lastly, uh, I'm going to have later on Rob Sanders, who's the uh, prosecutor in northern Kentucky. But uh, would you be shocked if Daniel Cameron, the attorney general of Kentucky, files murder charges against these three officers in Breonna Taylor's death? even imagine that he would do that. I have read all the police reports. I've spoken to Boots on the Ground in Louisville. Those officers did nothing wrong, but there is this myth out there that Brianna Taylor was this innocent uh, emergency medical technician who was asleep in her bed when the police came in and murdered her. That is not what happened. There, It was a no-knock drug warrant, part of a large investigation. Brianna's ex-boyfriend was utilizing her apartment and her car to deal large amounts of drugs. And by the way, she wasn't an EMT for the city. She'd gotten relieved of that job and was now working at a hospital. And she was standing next to her new boyfriend when the police broke in. The police announced themselves. They were shouting back and forth. And the her boyfriend fired one shot and hit an officer. Do you, you hear? The officer just got hit in the leg. No, he got hit in the femoral artery. He had about six minutes to live. So the officers returned fire toward the muzzle flash 
so that they could extricate that officer, get him out of there, and apply a tourniquet before he died. Unfortunately, Brianna Taylor was in a in the wrong place at the wrong time, but she was hardly innocent. As my grandmother used to say, if you lie down with dogs, there's a good chance you're going to get fleas. And that's like it's exactly what happened to her. She was not murdered. Her death is unfortunate, but those cops did not murder her. And the cops did announce they had used a battery ram, and I think it was Jonathan Mattingly who was shot, and they assumed they mm -hmm. were at a place they had a right to be, a judge had told them to be in that place. He issued the warrant. The officers were there in civilian attire. Many of the other tenants said, yes, uh, they were shouting. We heard police. The other tenants have said that. And they also broke in the door. And Kenneth Walker, who filed the first shot, the, the new uh, boyfriend of uh, Breonna Taylor, he may have thought that uh, there was intrusions. I don't know but what was in his mind. But when a police officer is serving a no-knock warrant at a place where they think major drug-dealing assets are being located and they get shot in the leg and the guy has five to ten minutes to live, they're going to return fire. It was a tragic accident that uh, should not have happened, and justice has occurred. She got $10 million for the estate, which is unfortunate. Breonna Taylor should be alive. Plus, you have the circumstances of these reforms. But we got to go, Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith, uh, uh, spokesman for the National Police Association. What you just said about Breonna Taylor doesn't get out very much, does it? No, sir, it doesn't. There is a real media stifling of the real facts about Breonna Taylor. But I encourage everybody to do their own research because it's out there and it's available. All right, Sergeant, thank you very much. And I'm glad you're retired with your faculties. It appears to be in, in full, uh, full blossom. So I'm glad you're retired. And uh, thank you for the service you provided to this country. Thank you. Thank you. All right, God bless America. Let's continue with.